You know, we love our phones, don't we? I mean, I'm not sure if I could live without this. But you know, it was only decades ago that an entire room filled with computers couldn't even do a portion of what these amazing devices are. They're so complex. But you know what? Inside living organisms, there's something even more amazing than that. Biological robots, machines, that can do incredible and complex things that make my phone look like child's play. I'll just be honest. And that's what we're going to talk about today, biological robots. Well, welcome to Creation Talk. I'm Scott Gillis. And today I'm with my friend, Dr. Jonathan Safady. G'day, Scott. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, it could be better. So yeah. listen, today, did you say it could be better? G'day, Scott. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, pretty good, thanks. Good. Well, so today we're going to talk about biological robots. I mean, you've told me a little bit about this. I mean, what are we talking about here? Are there any examples? Well, it's one of my favorite topics because in the simplest living cell, there are an amazing array of micro-machines, there's a dazzling array of nanotechnology. And one of my favorite examples is ATP synthase. The what was that? ATP synthase. Synthase. Okay, what is that? It's the world's tiniest motor, but it makes the energy currency of life because all living things use this chemical called ATP as their energy. And in fact, your body makes its own weight in ATP every day and consumes it. You're kidding. That's an amazing thing. Our entire weight of our body is manufactured by these little machines every day? Every day. But you don't notice it because it's consumed as fast as it's produced. All right. So ATP, is that kind of like uh, petrol, gasoline that kind of keeps us going? It is basically the same sort of thing. It is a fuel of our cells. All the processes in our body just about use ATP as the energy source. So it has to be made. And it's made by these tiny motors. How, How is it made? Can you describe it to us? Okay, you've got this tiny motor uh, inside your cell, but so tiny that about 100,000 could fit into a millimeter side by side. Wow. And it's revolving about 10,000 revs per minute. Oh my goodness, 10,000 10, 10,000, okay. and it's powered by an electrical current, but it's an electrical current that's positive, not, a, not negative like uh, the current you're using to listen to us. So it has to be in a certain part of your cell that generates this current that's positively charged, unlike what you're using, which is negatively charged. It drives a rotor, and that rotor is connected by elastic slip transmission to a top part that rotates and changes shape in such a way that it puts out three of these ATP molecules every turn. So it's incredibly efficient, basically 100% efficient, unlike the most efficient hybrid cars you have. Um, this is actually exceeds it in efficiency, in miniaturization, everything. We can't, haven't got anything even remotely close to that. Now, you're, you're, I'm, I'm afraid you're kind of blowing my mind a little bit here. 10,000 RPMs, you're talking about rotors, you're mm. talking about this thing like it's a machine. Uh, because it is a machine. Okay. And, and yet it's inside living cells. Inside even the simplest living cells, yes. So, and then how many of them could fit into about how much space? About 100,000 would fit side by side into a millimeter. So it is the tiniest motor we have. There's nothing even in the best nanotechnology that man makes uh, anything remotely approaching how tiny this thing is. So you said it was, it's like a machine. So 
What do you mean by that? Well, I think it actually is a machine. Okay. And therefore, it's made of a lot of different parts and all have to be working perfectly together. Otherwise, the machine can't work. I mean, even the motors we make, we're going to have a rotating part. We're going to have a stationary part. We're going to have a device to change the current uh, to make sure it's always an attractive force to keep the rotor going in the same direction. And then you have to have the instruction manual to build the rotor. Oh, yeah. I mean, just like, uh, I mean, my phone was designed. Yeah. And so there had to be a lot of plans going together. So how, how is it that uh, the cell, does the cell build these machines or, or it how does it work? It must build these machines, but the thing is, it has the instruction manual, and that is the famous DNA molecule. Oh, okay, yeah. Which stands for definitely no accident. <laughs> yeah. Or deroxy <laughs> Yeah, it stands for deoxyribonucleic acid. acid. Yeah, I and tried to impress is, everybody on air with that. Oh, good we'll on you. To cut that part out. Yeah, deoxyribonucleic acid. Yes. There we go. And it's the, it's right. the instruction manual that makes us who we are. It has the instructions to build us, including all these motors. And it's exactly like a book of instructions, exactly mathematically identical to a book of instructions that we would have to build any of our machines. Now, a lot of people tell us that we, and even a simple cell, just kind of got here by chance, you know, from non-living chemicals, a cell occurred. But when I think of a, of a motor, like mm. you're discussing here, yeah. I mean, with all its complexity, I mean, I can't imagine life being able to come out of non-living chemicals, because does this machine need to exist for life to occur? Well, it does, because otherwise, where does the energy come from? So we oh, all okay. have to have that. Which means we also need the instruction manual to build it. But then you, uh, the interesting thing is the instruction manual, the DNA, has to be read by a lot of machines. And those machines use lots of energy, which is made by ATP, using, which is made by those motors. So you need the motors to make more of the motors. So there are more machines in a living cell than just this ATP synthase? Oh, it's actually mind-boggling how many machines there are. You've got machines to uh, replicate the instructions to the next generation. You have machines to decode the instructions. And in fact, because DNA is a double helix, it's like a, a giant telephone cord. You know, if the DNA in each of your cells was put end-to-end, it would be about the height of a tall man. Wow, okay. But it's only a few atoms thick. So think about the ease of tangling up a telephone cord. You know, the people who have the landlines and how yeah. they'll be tangled I remember up. remember those from the past. Yeah, it shows our age that we actually remember these things, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, the point is that DNA has to have an untangling machine to make sure it doesn't get tangled up, which actually works by cutting, moving, and then putting it back together again. So we have multiple and different kinds of machines within the living cell that all need to work together. Yeah for life to occur. And the thing is, DNA has the instructions to build its own machines, but it needs those machines to read those instructions. It's like a catch-22. Very uh, much like so. Like a chicken and egg problem. Except multiple chicken and egg because you've got so Why many different things because you have to have things like uh, the DNA decoding machines to decode the instructions and make the ATP motor, but you need ATP to run those decoding machines, which is made by those motors, uh, but to make those motors, you need the instructions using decoding machines using ATP made by motors. So it's oh, a three-way cycle, uh, but more than that even. That's amazing. So what, what do you say when somebody tells you that they believe that, that even a simple cell 
came out of non-living chemicals just by chance, random chance. Well, the point is there isn't any such thing as a simple cell. Oh, it has to be so right. mind-boggling and complex even to get the simplest living thing started. And you can't even talk about natural selection yet because natural selection uh, basically says the fit thing leads more offspring than the unfit thing. Right. So what do you have to have before natural selection? You must have something that can reproduce. So you cannot invoke natural selection to explain the first self-reproducing thing. So yeah. all you have is matter and time and chance. And the chance is just mind-boggling, just the chance of an explosion in an electrical factory making an electric motor. It doesn't work that way. Right. So it is kind of mind-boggling when people will maybe even challenge us when we believe basically that there is a designer, that there's, there, there is something that, that can explain all this complexity in life. Well, no one would think that the, the motors that run your car and your outboard motor came about by an explosion in electrical factory. It doesn't work that way. No one thinks that a book arose without an author or a program arose without a programmer. Yes. Yet we've got programs and machines and living things. So why don't we use the same reasoning that we use everywhere else to realize there must be some amazing programmer to put everything together and an intelligence far beyond our own imagination? Yeah, it'd be kind of like just saying that, that this complex thing, these smartphones that we use every day just kind of designed themselves or just came out of nothing. It, it's, mm. it's kind of ludicrous to, to understand that. And the instruction manual that people yeah. used to build it came about right. just by uh, an explosion in the printing press. Right. It takes intelligence in Always. order for this to happen. And here, the intelligence of design is right before our eyes in these biological robots. Yeah, the, the analogy is perfect. We've got machines, which are real machines. We have uh, DNA as a recipe book, exactly analogous mathematically to a printed recipe book. I mean, right. for instance, there's nothing in the ink that makes it write a book. Yes, okay. Ink doesn't write books. In the same way, there's no way chemicals write messages that and instructions. Sense. Right, right. So, you know, when I think about uh, the design just in this simple thing, and compare the, the technology that man used in order to create this, it pales in comparison to the design that we find within living cells. It, it's, a, it's an indication showing us that there's not only a designer, but he designed us. And I wanna let you know that we've only scratched the surface mm. when it comes to, uh, to design within living things. And yeah. there is so much more we can learn. I've got a whole talk just on the biological machines of living things. And even then, and a whole hour talk, I only scratched the surface. Right. So I just want to let you know that if you went to our website, creation.com, you'll find lots of resources that will amaze you and keep you in awe when you think about the great design that's right before us, right here in living things. So check us out, creation.com. So Jonathan, thank you for your time. Well, thank you, Scott, for having me here. All right, it's been great.